0: Well, good afternoon and thank you for joining me again today for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another very interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a Harvard Business Review tip. This particular one is don't over-monitor your goals. We're also having our chat with Christina. She's going to talk about attending a live business event as we are attending more and more of those now, which is great. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Kimberly Clare Campbell, who is a digital mentor at the Hunter Region Business Hub. We're going to talk about reasons people leave your website. Good afternoon, Kimberly.
1: Good afternoon, Julian.
0: So, thanks for joining us again today. So, uh, uh, seven reasons people leave your website or how to stop them from bounce busting tips. With, with uh, social media sites giving your customers easy access to your business, Do you really need a website?
1: Yes, we do. Once we've um, been on social media and we're out there and known, people start to stalk a business just to see if they're legitimate. If you're only on social media, then people might assume that you're just a startup or a small business and you haven't got a real presence. Whereas when you've got a website, it gives your business authority and that trust factor.
0: So, okay, so we know that we need a website. What are some of the things we should consider to make sure potential customers get what they need from our website?
1: So research has shown that there are seven main reasons that people leave a website, and they are slow page speed, so it's taking a long time for a page to load, poor page design, especially on mobile, so they can't find things, a cluttered and confused message, no clear call to action or Next step for the customer to take, confusing navigation, cart shock, and hard to find contact information.
0: Well, that's a comprehensive list, so uh, let's talk about these reasons. Firstly, what about slow page load time?
1: Well, we're all very in- impatient at the moment, and 47% of users expect a page to load within two seconds or less, which is really, really fast. So, our aim is as an owner with a web page is to make sure that our page is fully loaded within two to three seconds. So that means that all your images, your text, your buttons, they're already loaded in two seconds and they're ready for a client to scroll and find more information. If your page takes longer than three seconds to load, you're increasing their level of frustration and they don't have patience for it. So even a two-second delay in page loading so taking longer, increases site abandonment by 17%. So people, if it takes too long, they'll just go somewhere else. And they're often going back to Google, hit the back button, and they'll find your competitor.
0: And, of course, there is a a thing you can download to actually check your speed, isn't there?
1: Yes, there's quite a few sites, and Google has um, a page checking site speed Monitor, so you can just jump in there and check.
0: So number two was uh, some websites look out of date and are hard to read. How important is page design?
1: Yeah, it is really, really important. People are looking for something that is modern because then they think the business is up to date. They're giving me current information. And we all know that an image is worth a thousand words. So we need to have that hero image or that big image at the top of our page capturing what our business is about. So if you can choose an image that has your ideal customer in it and they're engaging with your product or service, then that image is now capturing what the essence of your business is about. It's relating to your ideal customer and they're more likely to stay on the page. And if you can then overlay text over that image and use That is your H1 tag. So Google really likes to know the important information and that's usually in the H1 tag at the top of the page. It's like the big banner heading in in, we used to have in newspapers. And that text needs to grab the reader's attention in as few words as possible. So copywriters often suggest that when we're thinking about that H1 tag that we use a verb, which is a doing word, followed by what your business does and how it does it. So a great example is for Netflix, is watch TV anywhere, anytime. So the watch is the verb, TV is what Netflix does, and you can do it anywhere, anytime. So if we can be really clever and come up with that kind of um, tagline for our business, we're right on the game.
0: So, uh, yeah, I I find uh, some websites are really confusing, uh, cluttered, Difficult, they don't really tell me what to do next. So Mm. I would imagine simplifying your web page is important because uh, those cluttered and confusing and no clear call of action is, is a problem.
1: It is. And we don't want to cause problems for our customers. We don't want to make life more difficult by giving them too many choices because then they get confused and they go somewhere else where it's easier to make a decision. So straight after your heading and your subheading text, you can put in two call-to-action boxes and one will give the visitor access to all, more information. So if they're a first-time visitor and they really want to know what you are doing and what kind of services or products you offer, that button can lead them to more information. And then you also want a buy now button. So that if a client has been to your website a couple of times, they've got to know you, they trust you enough to start purchasing from you, you want to give them an opportunity to go straight to where they can purchase. The website is there to build trust and rapport with your clients and to help you create long term relationships and ongoing businesses. But you need to meet them at the need or the stage that they are at, whether that's just coming to your business for the first time and needing more information or ready to purchase.
0: So uh, point number five, I sometimes find it very difficult to find my way around a website. What should people think about when planning their navigation?
1: Yeah, so navigation is a tricky one because we all want to be smart and different from everybody else, but our customers don't want us to be too clever because then they can't find what they need quickly and easily. So we need to understand our product and how our customers or clients think about our product and create our navigation around that. So currently a popular trend, but I find it very frustrating, is having pale, small text on a pale background. So there's not much contrast and it's not um, big in size. So it can be quite tricky to find. So while it might look very trendy, it's actually doing your business a disservice. So think about having at least 16-point font and a high contrast, so it's really easy for people to see where your navigation is and where to go next. And then on mobile devices, our navigation turns into those three lines, which are often called the hamburger lines. And we really want to locate them in the top right-hand corner of the mobile device because that's where people are used to looking for navigation. If we make them start wandering and trying to find it, then, again, that builds up that frustration level. So putting things in, in easy-to-find places is really essential on mobile devices as well as desktop.
0: So one of the reasons you said that uh, people leave websites, and this is particularly, of course, if they're buying stuff online, mm-hmm. is cart shock. So I have to find myself filling in a purchase and then it gets too hard or expensive, so I just leave it.
1: Yeah. So that is actually the number one reason people abandon a purchase when they got to the shopping cart is it's all too confusing and they're shocked by the fees, the shipping fees. So in Australia, it's quite different to other countries because we're a geographically vast and isolated country. And there's significant infrastructure needed to get a parcel, say, from the Hunter Valley to anywhere else in Australia. And People think that because, you know, in the US or China, we get very low shipping fees that we should be offering that or at least free shipping or subsidised shipping to our customers. However, it's not reasonable to ask that of small businesses because it's just too expensive. So when you're thinking about shipping fees, either add into your frequently asked questions all the information about shipping fees and delivery and what's involved Or if you're going to use free shipping, then include it in the cost of your service. So I know with my products, my shipping fees start at $14. So I can't really wear that as a business. It's just too expensive. But by incorporating that into the price of my product, then people don't get that bill shock when they get to the checkout. It just gives a bit more peace of mind. And then the next part of the the uh, shopping cart thing that causes abandonment is payment gateways. So that's how you pay for your goods or services. The trend used to be to only offer one payment gateway and that was often PayPal. But now people are having more options. So we've got um, paying over a longer period of time, like a lay-by kind of system, with things like Afterpay and ZipPay. We've got PayPal. We've got direct debits. There's so many different methods that we can now use and customers are expecting different uh, methods for us to pay by. So when you're looking at setting up your shop or if you're reviewing it, think about what other payment gateways you can offer your customers so that they've got more choices to pay and pay in a way that suits them. And then the other thing is to actually be a customer through your checkout system how does it feel? Is it a smooth transition? Is it easy and obvious for you to add additional products to your orders or can't people find out how to, how to do that? Do you offer a guest checkout or do customers have to log in? And sometimes customers don't want to create an account, they just want to be a guest. Um, make sure your checkout process is really quick and easy to use, that it's secure. And outline your returns process because, again, that's part of the trust system. If people um, know that they can return something easily, they're more likely to purchase it. And, of course, we need to have our terms and conditions on our website too.
0: And one of the things I'm very surprised about with many websites, it's hard to find contact information for the business.
1: Yeah. So it tends to be buried on the contact us page, but that doesn't lead to confidence. If you've only got a contact box and you're not putting your uh, your phone number there, there's no email to contact you, no address, so people don't know if you're located in Australia or overseas. So I always suggest to people that they put their address on every page. A, it's good for local search if people are looking for local products, but it also creates that feeling of transparency that people can trust you they know where you're located and if they want to actually come into your store and pick stuff up they can do that as well just makes it easier for people Mm, great
0: well thanks very much for your time again we'll have a chat with you again next month
1: thanks julian
0: thank you bye-bye bye Kimberly-Claire Campbell there from the Hunter Business Hub, who, of course, do have the uh, government programs that help you with the, some of this stuff. And you're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM. Time to pop over and have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina.
2: Good afternoon, Julian. And what a what a wonderful song and what a wonderful
0: thing to do is to help people. Helping people. That's what we do, don't we? It is indeed. That's what the show's all about, Hopefully, and now you went to a uh, a live uh, business event this morning, and you said a few things have changed.
2: Uh, Indeed, so um, we actually spoke at an event at a media event in um, in Sydney this morning. So I'm actually in Sydney today, Uh, and there were three hundred people in the room. They were scattered. Uh, They were, you know, there was where there might have been ten people to a, a table. There were, you know, five people to a table. Uh, all the COVID-safe practices. You couldn't actually sit down outside of the um, outside of the venue. You had to stand up. There were check-ins everywhere. Uh, but, but it's really interesting because it felt quite strange being at a live event and being in the midst of so many people, mm. uh, where, where nobody was wearing a mask except the people that, that worked there. Um, they, I, I observed the AV people multiple times cleaning equipment um, with sanitizers and everything. But I think we really need to consider what a live event is now. So, you know, we've got live events as opposed to a Zoom event, as opposed to hybrid events. So we did have people that streamed in from overseas uh, for this media event this morning. And it got me thinking about how how do you construct an event so that you have the best of both worlds, so that you can now open things up to a lot more people uh, using all the things that we've learned. And I think we've mentioned before that technology is a tool. Uh, and if we can best use Zoom for creating that impact and for creating connection, and we've got people in the room uh, and we're, we're using all different aspects of technology, what is a really good event going to look like in the future? Uh, mm-hmm. Are we going to incorporate augmented reality, virtual reality? And what does this mean for business? As a small business owner... What are you going to choose to invest your money into because let's face it you know you go to a live event, it takes two three days out of your out of your um, work day, you send some of your team to an event that mul- that's a multiplier effect. Um, yes, I actually do believe that going to events because clearly we run them, but going to events immersing yourself in the content, networking with other people, having vibrant conversations. Um, And if that's on Zoom or if it's in person, for me, we've noticed that we can actually successfully do both. But what does it mean for a small business and how do you best spend those dollars that you've got? And, you know, dollars are a little bit limited at the moment. So where are we going to get best value for money uh, and how are we going to ensure that we've made the best connections possible?
0: Mm, Yeah, And I, I presume the front row is always empty anyway.
2: Well, (laughs) only if you're naughty. Um, This event was was actually quite full. So so it was a media event. It was about programmatic programmatic advertising. So how are we using data? How are we using AI? And it was actually quite a a little ironic that uh, an event all about data and AI and technology was one of the first events that we've spoken to in person. So, you know, that's that's a bit of a a contradiction uh, for me. But it, it was really good to be in a room with people again. Um, it was really good to talk to people after the event, but it really made me question what does a great event look like and where do we need to invest our dollars?
0: Great. Well, you enjoy the rest of the day in Sydney and we'll chat with you next week, Christina, there with yeah, those live events. At least they're coming back, but they've changed a little bit. Just time for our Harvard Business Review tip, this particular one, don't over-monitor your goals. Having goals is a good thing, but the current trend of self-monitoring Uh, with various trackers, means that we're constantly evaluating ourselves. Um, Over-monitoring can be tiring and cause us to lose sight of what really matters. Avoid this trap by taking a more humane approach. Firstly, assess yourself. If you're constantly measuring what you're doing and feeling uneasy about things you actually want to do, it's time to loosen up. Secondly, re-evaluate the why. Think about whether you're monitoring habits because they work for you or because it's what you think you should do. Thirdly, disappoint people. Don't get overwhelmed by all the things people expect you to do and be. Let some of them go. And finally, be brave. Stop looking at your self-worth as a scorecard. Some interesting points there. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the reasons why people leave your website and attending a live business event. In a moment Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week we're going to talk about Governing Director Companies with Rani Gander from Turnbull Hill Lawyers. We'll have a minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week, and as Steve Jobs once said, if you're working on something that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you.